Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name is Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this podcast is where I ask people to tell me the four little things from their life that they treasure so much that they would like to preserve them in a time capsule, and the one personal thing or experience that they loathe and would like to be rid of by burying it in the ground. My guest in this episode is the cook, food writer and broadcaster, Rachel Koo. After getting a degree at Central St. Martin's College in London, Rachel trained at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris and then worked at the famous Paris tea salon La Cocotte, creating delicious sweet treats. She since travelled the world, writing articles for many newspapers and magazines, publishing numerous best-selling cookbooks and making various TV shows, including My Little Paris Kitchen, A Cook Abroad and Rachel Koo's Kitchen Notebook. Recently, we saw her take Fred Siriex on a whirlwind tour of the culinary delights of Vienna for BBC Two's Remarkable Places to Eat. And her latest project, Rachel Koo's Simple Pleasures, can be seen on the Food Network. Or you can stream it on D-Play. She also has her own podcast, A Carnivore's Crisis. I think that's enough to be getting on with. So, let's hear what Rachel chose to put into her time capsule when I spoke to her in her lovely kitchen in Sweden. Yeah, sadly, I was in Tunbridge Wells, but, well, you can't have everything. I mean, where would you put it all? Yeah, so my mum used to wash our mouths out with soap if we ever said a bad word. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and my dad, I once swore in front of my dad, he didn't speak to me for three days. He no. was horrified. So, How old were you? I was 24. Oh, my word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> I was a grown-up. I was a grown-up at the time. So I try not to swear in general, but if I'm on my own and I'm really angry, then mm. I do swear. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't? I think. You know, so I have to say, you've done all right for a girl from Croydon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it comes from my parents. They're real grafters. So my dad, you know, when he was, I think it was 18, he got a scholarship to go study uh, in the UK. And mm. he's from Malaysia. And so that kind of opportunity yeah. was, it was like winning the golden ticket to the Willy Wonka factory, you know, in terms of having new opportunities to study abroad. Um, and my mum, she came over to the UK when she was 17 to au pair. And she comes from a little small town uh, in the mountains on the Swiss-Austrian border. So nobody went abroad back then. You know, it's no. just like, it was really unknown. And um, like my Austrian grandma, she brought up six kids on her own. So this kind of work hard mentality, which actually kind of backfires sometimes because 
I need to get better with the work-life balance is, uh, is really kind of ingrained in me. So, Do you know, it's been a recurring theme, I have to say, in my podcast. That mm. When I say to people, so how did that happen? Generally, the answer is, well, I worked really hard. Mm. Don't be ashamed of it. No, I'm not ashamed of it. But I think sometimes it gets people don't see the hard work, do they? They don't. They just think it comes easy, and it and there's so much behind it. Like um, filming this TV show because we filmed it in like lockdown situation. I always film my TV shows with a small crew anyway, but this was like a tiny crew. It was just me, (laughs) a camera guy. Then we had a local cook because I couldn't find a, a. professional TV home economist and then somebody just helping out with all the extra bits and we filmed it in my mother-in-law's kitchen (laughs) because it's all white and white is really bad for cameras you know like you need some color it helps with the visual aspect so I tried to sew a curtain and I can't sew (laughs) so I had to use like blue peter style some sticky tape and like stick it onto the ugly dishwasher to cover that up (laughs) and throughout the series you see this like curtain starting to like fall down and like go back up fall down go back up so um the continuity is not that great and then uh, um I got some stickers tile stickers and the shop didn't have enough to cover the whole kind of backsplash so I had to alternate looks like you've had a designer (laughs) (laughs) oh well anyway I won't be doing a makeover show that's for sure so um yeah (laughs) Uh, brilliant Um, when's the program out it's today so Thursday, the 2nd of July, it's airing today. So it's on the Food Network at wow. 9 o'clock. Super. I can't believe it because we filmed at Easter and I was supposed to film another TV show in March, February. And then mm. lockdown happened and that was supposed to be filming in the UK. And then Discovery reached out and said, look, have you got any ideas of shows you can film under lockdown? So from pitch to actually filming, we had like less than a month. Wow, that's impressive. And then we're still... Post-production, I'm doing the last voiceover today. And what I do is I get, like, my three-year-old's play mat and some pillows, and I make this little cave with a duvet. <laughs> I know <laughs> so, that world. Yeah. Exactly. So I create my home sound booth. So, um, yeah, it's all very makeshift. But we made it work, and I'm a true believer in, okay, you might have a problem, mm. but it really it's not a problem. You just have to think in another way how can we find a solution there's always you know life is full of problems it's just how you handle them mm. you know and it's finding ways of overcoming that and in, and actually embracing the challenges as something positive rather than negative yeah. that's what I try to do I don't always succeed <laughs> but I try <laughs> people have done the most extraordinary things during lockdown I think it has been yes. a blossoming of people's inventiveness it's great we may have to get used to it you never know you know people may eventually listen to this and go what are they talking about what what virus <laughs> that's what we hope for but uh, they may go yeah yeah we're still there mate you know three years later thanks very much (laughs) no I I remain optimistic like I mean I I'm fortunate I've been in Sweden and even though my business has really been hit by the situation because it's all UK or travel based Mm -hmm. Sweden that we've had this I guess what you're in the UK trying to achieve this new normal of yeah. Being able to go out, but social distancing and, you know, so... You've had that right from the start, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. But there are many reasons why it only worked in Sweden. Mm. I mean, like the fact that Sweden's twice the size of the UK with only 10 million people helps. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big factor. So, so that's why we've had this situation. But, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate to have had that, you know, freedom to, mm. to be able to go out I mean I have friends in Paris who are yeah I had to have a note and I could only go out once a day and you can't exercise between this and this time it was quite quite extreme so yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh god right so Rachel we're going to talk about five things from your life I'm quite excited to find out what they are it was so difficult how (laughs) do you pick out five I was like I don't know okay I was nobody can see this because it's it's a podcast but I'm literally holding my hands uh, on my head going oh how do I pick out five things (laughs) I kind of I my things I've picked out which are really kind of personal to me and things where if people looked at it they might not get it 
So anyway, well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> the important thing, I think, Rachel, is, is that it is personal to you. Mm. That's what makes it interesting to listen to because we don't know what that is. Nobody knows. And when you look back in your own little personal life, quite often even uh, when I've thought about it myself, I realised that actually probably my wife and children don't even know the things that I would pick. Mm. They are very secret to you, really. So uh, thank you for thinking it through. Well, pleasure. What's your first item? Um, okay, so it's not really in any order. It's just the first thing which popped up in my head. Yeah. And um, when I um, was living in Paris, um, I moved in my mid-twenties and the first place I lived in was this tiny studio flat. Actually, I only lived in tiny places. <laughs> <laughs> the first place was 15 square metres had a little galley kitchen and that was the, I used to nanny for family and they had a, like a nanny flat. Mm. So I lived there. And then when I finished working with them, I moved into a flat, which was the one I ended up on TV for the little Paris kitchen and the TV show I did. Yeah. And I, I rented it off this uh, French girl who moved to New York. I think she was a ballet dancer. Anyway, so I rented it off her and she left all her kitchen stuff. And I was pretty broke back then. I didn't have much money. And she had this enamel bowl, so blue edge and white. Mm -hmm. And this enamel bowl, um, it was like my lucky bowl. So I used it for everything. <laughs> and it, and actually, I used it on the TV show for The Little Paris Kitchen. Then I used it on some subsequent TV series I did. And then people started emailing and complaining to me, saying it was a health hazard because it had chips on it. So I shouldn't be using the enamel bowl because it had chips on it. No. So, so I now don't use it on camera, but I still have it. Yeah. <laughs> and I still use it. And um, it's just like... Because the, the girl I rented off the flat, she said I could have the bowl. So <laughs> uh. I've kept it. And I did, when I moved from Paris, I moved back to London and now I'm in Sweden. It's kind of followed me everywhere. And I used to not only use it for TV shows, but also when I had to do events like cookery demos to mm. lots of people, I would take it along because I would be so nervous. And it would be like a, a comfort bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Did you speak French before you went to Paris? Um, like, um, bonjour, je m'appelle Rachel, comment allez-vous? <laughs> like that kind of, uh, Jane Birkin, but worse. <laughs> so, uh, and now my French is like, bonjour, comment ça va, je m'appelle Rachel. And so I'm a bit more fluid and, mm. and stuff like that. But when I was doing... So the Little Paris Kitchen, the cookbook, got translated into French, which I think is quite ironic because it's a Brit telling the French how to cook French food. <laughs> I don't know, it was a bit random. But anyway, I had to do a lot of promo in French. And I realised French journalists loved when I played La Petite Anglaise, you know, uh. so the, the little English woman. So I would ham up my English accent when I spoke French. Yes, it's true, actually. I think the French find the English accent attractive <laughs> and we find the French accent attractive. So yes. it's one of those things. My mother-in-law lived in France for 15 years. Oh, and, oh uh, wow. Where in France? Uh, just below Orléans. Oh, okay. In the countryside. But the French people adored the fact that she never lost her English accent. And mm. in fact, she used to do, she still does it now, actually. Uh, yeah. She used to do this thing where she would uh, sort of spoonerize French words. So, for example, a corkscrew in French is a, well, she would call it either a tier bouchon or a bouchon tier. Ah, yes. And they loved it when she got it wrong. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, well, it's charming, isn't it? Those mm. little little touches. So um, yeah, so I played the La Petite Anglaise for the French. I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were twenty-one, did you say when? You... So no, I moved when I was was it twenty-five, twenty-four? Right. Hang on, twenty-five. So 25. I moved when I was twenty-five. So I graduated from art college in London. And then I went on to do fashion PR marketing. And then after a couple of years of doing that, I felt, oh, this isn't for me. I'm going to move to Paris and learn how to bake. Great. So yeah. that's what I did. <laughs> My parents thought I was crazy. They said, stay in your well-paid job and pay off your student loan and <laughs> then move to Paris. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just no. going to move to Paris. <laughs> yeah. That's what a St. Martin's girl does. Yes. My daughter-in-law went to St. Martin's. Yes. Oh, what did she study? Uh, she studied uh, knitting. 
basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. I would always, well, when I studied, they had Southampton Row, which is this beautiful building in Holborn. I uh, was based there and I would walk past the knitting studio, the textile. Mm. Textiles, yeah. It was always so beautiful what they were making. And now they're in this very industrial kind of, um, it's at St Pancras or behind mm. St Pancras building. I mean, it's very fancy. And all the lecture theatres are sponsored by different brands like Louis Vuitton uh, <laughs> Lecture Theatre and the L'Oreal, whatever. So, But I guess they've got to find funding somehow. It wasn't as fancy when I went. It was a bit no. more grotty and grim. <laughs> <laughs> was yours sponsored by Mr Kipling? <laughs> <laughs> Should have been. Actually, the... BA I did was art design and we would get a project a brief and then work in our media and we once got this project where we had to make a um, shop model to scale Mm -hmm. and I made it out of gingerbread so I had my scale ruler and I was baking these gingerbread sheets and making sure it was all to scale even back then I was obsessed with food so uh, yeah it's followed me throughout my career really. Where does that come from do you think that obsession with food? It definitely comes from my, like, culture, like my family. So my Austrian grandma, I have memories of sitting in her... She had a small kitchen mm. and watching her make strudel dough, like, stretching this amazing dough or, like, hunched over, like, the stove and making this amazing chicken dumpling soup. And for her, food was always a way of showing her love and and really kind of looking after people and caring for people. And she found when all the grandkids, because there were, I have lots of cousins in Austria, we would all kind of, you know, go down to Alma, uh, Austrian grandma, and she would always have good food. She'd always have cake and she'd always have something tasty. And my grandma should always complain when my aunt or my mum made something, like for instance, Spätzle, which are these button dumplings. Mm. So there's not enough butter. There was never enough butter with my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw you show Fred around Vienna on the television the other Yes. Day. It was lovely. That, but wow, some of the food was amazing. Yeah, I mean, I really love Vienna. It's so beautiful. Like the architecture, it really reminds me of Paris in some way in terms of how stunning mm. it is. Mm. But the food, people always kind of dismiss Austrian food and Viennese food has a very particular kind of culture which is quite different to where my relatives come from because they come from the opposite side of Austria Mm. and actually when my relatives if people from that region Fadelberg are on TV and they talk they get subtitled because the rest (laughs) of Austria can't understand their dialect (laughs) it's that strong so yeah so where is that, near Graz and those sort of areas? No, even, so you would fly to Zurich oh. and then you get the train past the Zurich uh, Lake, which is mm. beautiful. Beautiful. And then you cross the border. So um, I guess the most famous place would be, it's not far from Saint Anton, mm-hmm. the ski region. Um, what's another really famous? Lech, Lech. Uh, yeah. Lech is, is the, probably the most famous, is, is that region. Yes. So it's literally just mountains and, and it's, it's stunning. I'm wonderful, lovely. Really sad that I can't go visit my parents this year. It's mm. not looking like it. So, but last summer we were there. It was it was lovely. I toured Austria when I was a student in ah. a theatre show. Oh wow! It was really lovely. We went everywhere. It was great. Oh, amazing! And did you do it in German or was it? In no, English? we did it in English. Well, of course, you know the ah. great thing about uh, Europe, uh, this country, that this place that we've decided to uh, abandon in this country, bizarrely. <clears throat> Enough said on that. Anyway, yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> There we are. I I now have a Swedish passport. So I'm officially, I have a British and a Swedish, but I'm officially now, I could say I'm Swedish, no longer British, if I wanted to. So, um, yeah. No, but we turned around, you know, doing the whole thing in English. Amazing. We did quite a complicated play, The Critic by Mm -hmm. Sheridan. So a sort of a restoration comedy. Wow. It's great fun. Really good fun. And I love Austria. That sounds like amazing. Um, I did theatre studies as an A-level. Mm-hmm. And I performed at the Fringe. Did you? When I was a teenager, yeah, because I was part of a youth theatre company uh, and we had performed at the Quaker House in Edinburgh. Yeah. It was a play about a Japanese factory poisoning a village and everybody dying. And anyway, it was quite hardcore, quite heavy. <laughs> but we made these amazing paper mache fish, which would dance and stuff like that. And we would have to go. Um, 
up the main high street and fly at everybody, come to our show, because social media didn't exist then. So Damn. that's how old I am. So we would like be flyering with our fish heads, like, come and see us. On the Royal Mile. Yes, exactly, the yeah. Royal Mile. It was yeah. a long time ago. But yeah. we did get um, a four-star review in The Scotsman. Fantastic. So, yeah, I did, yeah. did all right. You, you but, know, they, they never give anything less than a five-star, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. As a teenager, I was hugely like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I mean, we even got into the newspaper. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yes. <laughs> I think it's a really, really wonderful thing when children get involved in theatre. Yeah. It does things for them. You know, I mean, look yeah. at you. You would have been a shy little girl from Croydon. You'd never have dared go to Paris. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it was a combination. My mum said the first day I went to school and came home, I told everybody at home, and my grandma was staying with us at that time, that they all had to sit down and I was the teacher and everybody had to listen to what I was saying. <laughs> so I've always been quite assertive, apparently. Okay. Very good. Well, just because you're giving me that look, I'm going to take your lovely bowl and I'm going to put it yeah. into the time capsule and uh, make it safe and preserved. No more chips on that bowl, Rachel. No more chips on that bowl. Okay, we'll keep it safe for now. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. That's gorgeous. So what's your second item? Right. So as a teenager, I've always been very artsy. And as a teenager, I grew up in Germany, in southern Germany, in Bavaria, yeah. about 60 kilometres northeast of uh, Munich in mm -hmm. a very, very small village. Actually, in a hamlet, that would be the right term. It was <laughs> my neighbours were chickens and fields. So as a teenager, <laughs> it was extremely boring. You know, I had to take the bus into town. It would take an hour to get to school every mm. day. So when I got home from school, I would like, I didn't. All my friends were back in town at school, so I had to kind of find things to entertain myself. So I was very much into crafts and music. I played the saxophone then and, and the flute and... Um, God, you were bored. <laughs> I was bored, yeah. You were really bored. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything. Because I wasn't really into sports. Like, like my younger brother, he was really into sports, which was great. Because if you live in the countryside, you can go kick a ball and there's some kids will join you. There's always football. Yeah. Or there's always like um, in the winter that pond would freeze and you could go ice skating and play ice hockey. And that wasn't my thing. Right. So I was a very indoorsy, quite geeky kind of teenager, very awkward. And I would always be making things. And I, at that time, like every cliche teenager, I wrote a diary. <laughs> <laughs> but it was always, I, I got very simple kind of lined notebook. And then because I didn't want anybody to read it, I would cover it with cardboard and make this makeshift lock on it. <laughs> and I would decorate each um, diary with different, I don't know, it was like a collage of different colours or maybe it was magazines or whatever. And mm. I still have all these diaries, which I wrote over several years. Do you read them? I haven't read them in a long time, but when I read them, I was like, oh my goodness, life was so simple. <laughs> <laughs> like, my only worry was like, um, will that boy like me? Mm. Am I going to be invited to that party? Um, mm. And I still have, I was a big pen pal. I had a lot of pen pals when I was a kid. So I ha still have some of the letters I used to send. Oh. And I had this one pen pal in the UK who was actually a friend, um, and we decided to make a teenage girls magazine together. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I still have the teenage girls magazine with the agony art column <laughs> and the recipes and, like, the fashion shoot. We would kind of... But it, it, nothing's done on the computer. It's all, like, cut, handwritten, yeah. you know, stapled together and very crafty. So, yeah. Lovely. Oh. A pen pal. Will that ever come back? No, I don't think so. Yes, yes. yes. I'm making, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and my three-year-old, he can't write, obviously, no. but he draws drawings and we send them off to grandma, grandpa, or we send letters. Mm. There's nothing nicer than receiving those gifts, I think. Yes. You know. But nothing comes through the post apart from bills and advertising. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and Amazon. I know. Amazon, yeah. I am fortunate being a food writer. I get sent uh, a lot of cookbooks. Oh, brilliant. Uh, which I feel really grateful for because, I mean, how beautiful to get a cookbook in the post. Mm. Um, and it's. I know as a writer how much work goes into making a cookbook, so I, I really uh, appreciate that somebody wants to send me one. Yeah. Snail mail. It's the best. I used to be a lot better at just sending letters to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, right now, it's, it's just with the current work and juggling kids. It's just about putting out fires, really. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it is. Well, nobody's going to look back and go, oh, look, I've just found this text. Isn't it lovely? <laughs> oh, look, I found it in a drawer. An old text <laughs> from my gran. How great. No, no. what are you going to remember? Our birthday cards and postcards mm. and letters. Yeah. They're the things that when you find them, you think, oh, wow, look at that. Yeah. They really throw you back. They're really sort of uh, little time capsules themselves, I suppose, really, aren't they? Exactly. Or photo albums. Yeah. So I've tried to print out photos because mm-hmm. I only take them on my phone, but I tried to print them out and stick them in an album because my mum's got loads of photo albums from yeah. when I was a kid and it's just so... It's nice to actually hold something and flick through it and see it. And the photography is always really bad. <laughs> Somebody's got like an eye closed or something like that. But that's the joy of it, I it think. It is, yes. Now you would take 20 photographs and pick the one that you think is best. But actually, I found a bag in a cupboard when I was cleaning things out a few years ago. And it was full of all the photographs that I'd rejected when they came back from the shop. Ah. But they came back and you go through this pack of 36 photographs and you think, oh, that one didn't work and that didn't work. <laughs> and you leave them in the packet. The other ones you put into the book. But actually, looking back at the ones that I'd rejected, they're gorgeous. They're great. Oh, fantastic. You delete them from your phone now. Yeah, you would. And, and I think the problem is your phones get lost. Like, or oh, you upgrade and the photos disappear and... It's in the cloud. Yeah, it's in the cloud. Wherever that is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't ask me. Don't ask me. No. But you can go back and completely relive your teenage life looking yes. at those diaries, can't you? And, and it must just bring back memory after memory as you're, oh, God, that day, yes. Yeah, I mean, because I lived in this tiny village and... And my life has, uh, I feel very much been in chapters because I've lived in so many different locations. Mm. So I can very well kind of like, ah, this place is kind of this chapter and this time, you know. And now I'm in Sweden. So it's like, oh, Paris feels like, did I even live there? I mean, it's it's such a different kind of lifestyle I had. And then (laughs) back in Germany, you know, and even when I lived in the UK. So it's quite uh, crazy. But the combination of all those things, it's always interesting how it makes you who you are, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's so, I mean, when I moved to Germany when I was 12, uh, I didn't speak German very well and I didn't want to go. My brother and I didn't want to go, but my parents wanted to move because my mum wanted to be closer to her family in Austria and my dad got a good job opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I, my parents decided to not send me to an international school, but to a German uh, school, yeah. to a convent school as well. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Catholic, um, <laughs> Bulgarian convent school. Perfect. And that was in town. And I have a very strong memory. I had to get the bus at 6.56 in the morning and it was all foggy and it was my first day. I had to get the bus on my own into town. I had to get off the bus, walk 15 minutes to find the school. And my first lesson was swimming and I didn't speak German very well. And I had to go up to the nun and say like do sign language swimming you know it was like because nobody nobody showed me where I was supposed to go I just had to and my mum said she's now told me so I couldn't take you because the moving uh, removal guys from the UK were coming that day Uh and she had my brother to look after and she couldn't she's like right you're 12 you're just gonna have to do it on your own that's incredible isn't it (laughs) if you think about that whether people would do anything like that now with a 12 year old but I think that experience has taught me, okay, you might be in a situation which is unknown and it's scary, but you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. It, everything was fine. I, I I got to the other side. I got home again and I made friends at school and, yeah, it was okay. So, and you went swimming. 
And I went, well, uh, I got so late to the class that the teacher said, don't bother with swimming. And then, oh, and then no. my second lesson was maths. And the maths teacher decided she was a very stern Bavarian woman in a traditional kind of dundle that day. She made everybody sit down and do a maths test. And I like, I was so scared of this teacher and I didn't know how to answer the maths test. I just remember like going up to the teacher and saying, nine, nine, (laughs) fish, fish, She said, no, the answer's eight. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Thank you. Very good. Yeah. Um, but so you didn't learn your lesson, Rachel. You didn't learn your lesson. If you turn up late for swimming, you don't have to yeah. swim. So you turn up <laughs> late for maths. It's easy. Yeah, I should have done that. Oh. I didn't learn it. Oh, you were only God. 12. You were only 12. Yeah. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And when you get older, you can show your children, grandchildren. You can say, look, this is the life I led when I was a teenager. So when you complain about being bored, read my diaries. <laughs> I don't know if I want to share that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they will not be published, I'm sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, then we'll lock them away for safety. Safekeeping Good. inside the time capsule. That's lovely. Mm. <laughs> Brilliant. So your third item. We're going to take a short break here to listen to some adverts. We'll be back with Rachel Koo very shortly. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. So let's find out what the third thing is that Rachel Koo chose to put into her time capsule. So I now live in Sweden and my parents live in Austria, where my mum is from. So um, in Farnberg on the Austrian-Swiss border. So I don't get to see them that often. Thank goodness for technology. You know, Mm. Skype, WhatsApp, all that stuff. I mean, that is, you know, having to send letters would be lovely. But still, I I love the fact that I can just call up my mum and we can chat face to face. Mm. So when you become a new mother, um, especially... Uh, it's just such a crazy experience. But also when you're in a foreign country, I think it's twice as hard when you don't have family around you. Yeah. Um, so I found it really difficult, you know, not having my mum around. And she would come and visit when she could, but it wasn't that easy. And I would go and visit when I could. But she would, uh, she really loves knitting or <laughs> used to love knitting. So she can't knit anymore because of wrists. But she knitted these beautiful traditional Austrian kind of cardigans with mm. beautiful buttons on them. And they're for my children. So when they were small, well, one of them's still small. I've got a one-year-old and three-year-old. The three-year-old's clothes get passed on to the one-year-old. But I have these really lovely cardigans uh. she's knitted. And I would definitely, well, I've kept them. Mm. I'd like make sure I put some mothballs in there so no mothballs would, but that would be something I would I would put in there just because it's something my mum made yeah. and also it reminds me of that time of my children being so small. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they are very precious, those things, aren't they? And then when you take yeah. them out, you forget how small children are. I know. You don't notice your own children growing until suddenly they're the same height as you. And that's weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. So I definitely I would um I love 
things which are handmade, I think. Mm. And that's where I, I really respect craft and, and that skill which is put into craftsmanship. And, and that's partly why I was so drawn into food mm. from the art side. And patisserie. Yeah. The patisserie is incredibly delicate, isn't it? That's a real skill. Mm. You can make food taste lovely, but actually... When you go to a Michelin-style restaurant, it's the way that mm. it's presented, the beauty of it as well. It's very much part of the mm. eating experience, isn't it? How it looks. Yes, exactly. And and going to culinary school, you certainly, they try to kind of teach you that, that, that you know, precision and that craftsmanship. And in the last several years, I've been to Japan a lot. And I mean, they take it to another level. They really just specialize in one subject or skill and really try and hone it. And yes. I've watched sushi chefs and the way they they just dip the paintbrush into the soya and it's a particular soya and it's just a delicate swoosh of soya, but no, no. more, no more than that. And the customer is not allowed to go dip it in more soy no. sauce themselves. So, yeah, I think that, that that's something beautiful about what food can become. But then there's the everyday. And I love to celebrate, you know, uh, the pleasure you can get from everyday oh, cooking. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of comes from my grandma and my mum, you know, the fact that food brings people together around the table. And it can be something really simple. It doesn't need to be too, too complicated. No, no. It's just the fact you have the time and you can bring people together or you can just nourish yourself mm. um, and and... That's one of the simple pleasures of life, I think, is is taking that time to create something delicious in the kitchen. I'm ahead of the game because I've seen a clip, or in fact, I've seen some of the programmes oh, that are yes. going out. <laughs> and then, of course, I was making a salad yesterday and I put some peas in it. Ah! So you've affected what I do <laughs> completely. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I always have peas in the freezer. And actually, I'm trying to grow my own peas at the moment. No, mine were ones that I'd grown. Oh, oh, mm. wow. I'm not having much luck. I've had four peas. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my first year as a, as a like a, a gardener. Yeah. I'm like, a, you know, I used to have to help my parents in the garden. They had a, a like a big vegetable patch and we always had to do weeding, get the stones out and pick the beans. We always had so many beans. Yeah. And I, I was like, mum, are we having beans again <laughs> for dinner? I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, what colour are those cardigans, Rachel? Do you remember? Yeah, because my mum's picked out these traditional Austrian buttons. Mm. So if you, like, uh, Lederhosen, mm -hmm. so you know the traditional Austrian uh, male kind of dress, mm -hmm. and then you have the Dirndl, which is the uh, female version. Um, and so you get these lovely uh, buttons, and sometimes they have a little Edelweiss on there, the, flat, the mountain flower. Um, which you're not allowed to pick. If you go up in the mountains, don't pick it. No. <laughs> it's forbidden. So, yeah, she's uh, found uh, lots of lovely buttons, mm. or one of them are like wooden buttons. So it's not just the actual knitting. Um, she's thought about the buttons as well. So, uh, um, yeah, they're really lovely. But the, I probably my favourite one is a dark grey one with a white grey trim, uh. and it's uh, got these silver buttons with have Edelweiss oh, on them. Wow, you should send that to uh, a designer. No, it's just mine. I'm not going to share it with anyone. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I want it. No. I... The light grey, dark grey trim. Oh, I love the sound of that. It's very chic because my mum was thinking, okay, we're in Sweden. You kind of have to do Scandi minimalism. Mm. You know, you can't go too colourful and stuff like that. So, so she was thinking about Scandi chic meets traditional Austrian costume. So, yeah. Well, I'd wear that anytime. It sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, all right. We're going to put that into the time capsule, that gorgeous cardigan. Okay, what's next? Right. So when I was a kid, most of my school holidays, Easter, uh, summer, Christmas, um, was spent in Austria. Mm. And at that time, all my relatives lived up one little mountain. So I would have one aunt and uncle uh, with cousins and my grandma in one house. My grandma had the granny flat attached to the house. And then you go up the next house was another aunt uncle with my cousins. And then you go up the next house with another aunt uncle with cousins and a great aunt. <laughs> so it was so much fun as a kid. Yeah. You know, you just like 
run around up and down the mountain, especially Easter egg hunt, because we'd go from one aunt and uncle to another to just pick up the Easter eggs and the Easter rabbits. (laughs) And one of my aunts, she was a costume maker for a theatre, and she would make these dresses for all my girl cousins. And there would be like Anne of Green Gables style dresses, like big puffy sleeves, (laughs) um, you know, sailor kind of dresses with the white and the blue trim. And one year she made me a dilmde, so a traditional Austrian costume. And all my cousins got like either the same or a variation of that. So we all, we looked like we could be in a girl band, an Austrian girl band. (laughs) So, but... As a, like as an eight-year-old, you're like, I mean, th- like princess dresses. This was Wonderful. amazing. And having a dress made for you, this was so special. Um, and so this dildo, I actually have kept all of the dresses from really? what my aunts made. Um, but the dildo, because it's got that Austrian connection mm-hmm. um, and it's just so beautifully made. So a dildo is made out of three components. So you have the blouse, which is underneath. Mm-hmm. Then you have the dress, which is like um, with straps and it's got a tight bodice and then buttons. And then you have a little apron, which goes over the front. Yes. So it's kind of three components. So it's a a white blouse, a pink dress, and a, a blue apron. Uh. Um, and I've got a photo, I used of me wearing it in <laughs> my, I think my mum said it was a, um, oh, I've got forgotten. Where was I? I wore it all the time, but there's a photo of me wearing it. And it was, uh, I, why have I forgotten? It's like where they have the glass houses in London, outside London, near Richmond. Oh, um, I know what you mean. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, we're going mad. Yes, yes I'm going mad. Uh, yeah. You know, the big glass... I do know gl- exactly what you mean. What's it called, you know, Rachel? You know, beautiful... I don't know. Uh, I it's... No, no, I can only think of Kensington. <laughs> oh, no. It's not Kensington. It's, no, we're not going to stop until we get it. Oh, my goodness, it's so... It's not... Um, I'm, I'm as bad as you. So, anyway, I can't remember. The, they have the beautiful glass houses, which are very old, and the, the amazing plants in mm. there, and it's near Richmond. It is Richmond. It's right by Richmond. I it's, know, not, it's, it's right by Richmond, but why can I not remember what it's called? It's something gardens. <laughs> yes, exactly. Q! Yay! Yes, I knew it was K! <laughs> See, and we didn't Google or anything. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. We didn't go up our brain Well done. Work. Well done, the human brain. <laughs> Not my human brain, your human brain. My human brain oh is still goodness. going all over the I'm, shop. I need to drink more tea. Yes, please. Oh, <laughs> take a tea break. That was oh, fabulous. God. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. So I have a picture of me wearing that dinner under a very big tree. And my mum said that was taken at Kew Gardens. Kew Gardens. How lovely. So, yeah, exactly. We, we used to go to Kew Gardens a lot as a kid. It is lovely, um, isn't it? Say it for me again. It's a completely alien word to me, the name of the dress. Oh, Dilda? Yeah. But then I'm, I'm useless at languages. I'm absolutely <laughs> terrible. I know nothing. Oh. Um, it's, it's what I would describe as a Heidi dress. Yes, like a Heidi dress. Mm. But Heidi is Swiss. Yes. So I, I'm not quite sure what the exact differences are between an Austrian and the Swiss. And actually, depending on which county you're from in Austria... Mm-hmm. It'll be different. So in Vienna, they would not wear a Dillnville. I think Dillnville is, if I believe, is mainly the rural regions of Austria. I Don't quote me on this, but that's what I believe it, it, it is. But Vienna is not a Dillnville. Mm. Yeah, when I was doing research for the TV show A Remarkable Places to Eat, uh, I was fortunate to be in Vienna in November doing research. And, and the Viennese are very particular, I guess, it's like most countries, the capital is kind of very distinct in its own self mm-hmm. and then the rest of the country is very different. Yes. Right, OK, Rachel, let's put that beautiful dress into the time capsule and preserve it for all time. Yes, fantastic. Well, I think we're going to have to add a lot of mothballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just to make sure. <laughs> I've got the, between the cardigan and the and the dress, we've got to make sure the moths don't eat up the clothes. A paper? <laughs> paper? Paper, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No. Bubble wrap around the bowl to make sure it's safe. <laughs> no, the bowl I'm less worried about. Okay. It's been knocked around. It's okay. It's part of its charm. Mm-hmm. Like I always say, my cookbooks, if I go to somebody's place and they have my cookbook and it looks immaculate, then I'm like, oh, 
they haven't used it. If it looks like yeah. the dog's eaten it, that's better. It <laughs> <laughs> means that's well used. Exactly. Brilliant. Okay, we've got one more item to go into the time capsule, Rachel. Uh, and this really is supposed to be something that you're glad to get rid of from your life. Okay. Mm. All right. It's not actually a physical thing. That's fine. So, um... When I was living in Paris, I did a lot of things before I had this BBC show. And I also, I did, um, my first experience with cameras or like filming was for this cooking platform. And I had to cook recipes in French in a studio kitchen. Oh my word. And my French is okay, but it was my first experience cooking like in front of the camera mm. I had to do it in a language I'm not super comfortable in and I just remember the director like shouting at me saying follow the camera say your line and stop going up at the end of the line you know keep the melody like this please and I just couldn't get it and I had the worst haircut ever <laughs> like I had a really sharp bob uh, and a fringe I don't know what I was going on and I, I don't know I just when I see it, I just cringe because you can see I'm super uncomfortable. Mm. Like the whole experience was like, you can see I'm tensed up and yeah. So you, yeah, I don't know what I even cooked back then, but that whole experience, I'm like, I want it disappeared, gone, yeah. you know, don't want to see it ever again. And yet in a way, it's what makes you so at ease now. Yes, but then it's kind of told me that what I can do and what I can't do, mm. you know, for instance, and I always tell the production companies or if I think of a project, if I pitch a project or I get offered a, to do a project, I always say, look, this is my style and this is what I need to get the best out of me. If you can't make that happen, then it's better we don't work together. Yeah, very good. And you don't go up at the end? <laughs> a bit. Try not to. A bit, sometimes. <laughs> I guess it happens a lot because I work, a, or I used to work a lot in Australia mm. and their intonation is Slightly different. Yes, it uh, is, entirely. I mean, it's a very Mm. natural thing in Australia. Yeah. It's sort of a politeness, you know. Yes. Uh, Even though quite often what they're saying is very blunt. I like the bluntness. (laughs) It's a generational thing that I notice it all the time when people go up at the end. Okay. I've never got used to it. Yeah. If I point it out to people, they say, what are you talking about? (laughs) In fact, what they say is, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) It's not fair. It's not fair. It's just I'm just a oh, curmudgeon the old fool. That's what oh, I am. Oh, it's funny though. I like it. See, I'm used like me. <laughs> <you go>. Oh. <laughs> uh, no. Being out of your depth is an awful thing, isn't it? Yes. And speaking in a different language as well, that would be useless for me. I once went to a French village to try and find a goldfish. Well, I, I built a pond and uh, I needed a goldfish. <laughs> and I made the mistake of not finding out what the word was, thinking, you know, well, it'll be similar. Yeah. So I went to a shop that provided fishing equipment and asked them if they had a poisson d'or. And they looked at me as if I was an idiot. <laughs> and then I explained it in very poor French. A uh, petit poisson pour le uh, lac dans le jardin. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> what a twit. And uh, eventually uh, they said, no, poisson d'or, poisson d'or. Yeah, poisson d'or. No. <laughs> uh, and I mean, okay, turned around. And as I was leaving by the door of this place, was an enormous fish tank with goldfish in it. And I said, wait, 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 la, la. And they went, ah, poisson rouge. Yes. Uh, it's funny how languages, you know, different words for things. I, that's what I love about learning a language when yeah. you discover, oh, what well, that means, this. And mm. um, I've been trying for years to learn Swedish. And my Swedish is at the level that I managed to do live TV in Swedish wow. on a, like the biggest breakfast show. I will never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> How many languages do you speak now? Uh, English, German, French, and Swedish. So, uh, Brilliant. yeah, just the European. I didn't get the, like, um, my Malaysian side of the family, they speak um, English, Cantonese, Mandarin, um, Hokkien sometimes, then Bahasa in Indonesian language. So they like, yeah, I didn't get that side of the of my heritage, unfortunately. But... No, but you've got the culture of learning a language and not being afraid to do mm. that. I mean, so many English people just say, well, no, I, I can't do it, I can't do it. I think you have to get over that barrier 
to of, like you're going to make a fool of yourself. You're going to sound like a, a three year old, and if you're okay like sounding like a three year old, which is how I sound when I speak Swedish, then it's all right. You just I think it's just like communicate. Just people will respect you for the making the effort. Mm, the endeavor is the important thing in those areas. Yes. Well, as with everything, maybe. I think so. Yeah, and uh, I mean, if you're not willing to fail or make a fool out yourself, then you're not going to achieve anything because it's only through that process you're going to get to where you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I am only where I am now. It's because I have, well, I don't call it failures, but I have overcome all these challenges and, and I have it hasn't worked out the way I thought it would, but I still found a way to get where I, I am now. So, yeah. Yeah, you certainly have. You've done yes. absolutely brilliantly in your life. I think, uh, well done, congratulations and good luck with this new project. Thank you. I shall be watching it and adding more than peas to my salad. <laughs> fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's been lovely to talk to you, Rachel. Thank you. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Rachel Koo. If you'd like to see Rachel Koo's Simple Pleasures, there's a link to the programme in the description of this episode. It's easy. In fact, I'm sure you know how it works. Of course, I'm 62. I mean, just give me these words to read out. I haven't the faintest idea what I'm talking about, actually. Anyway, you can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or your own favourite podcast provider, and we'd love it if you would rate us and leave a glowing review. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MyTCPod or at Fenton Stevens. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens and the music is by Past the Peas Music. It was a cast-off production. And, by the way, I'd highly recommend them if you're looking to make your own podcast. Well, of course I would. I'll get a percentage of the profits. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.